Hello class and welcome to lecture 6. In this lecture, we will be discussing human frailty and nothing but human frailty. After weeks of folding campus announcements, student updates, and meaningless department politics into my lectures, I've come to realize that we are seriously, drastically behind in this course. We should have discussed human frailty like four weeks ago, if I'm being completely honest. Now, I sometimes suspect that Wrong State University encourages me to fill my lectures with irrelevant errata for exactly this reason. Since the course is self-paced and since students are billed on a monthly basis for the duration that they are enrolled in the course, the university stands to benefit when the class takes a long, long time. In fact, last semester, University President Houston Avers suggested that every course instructor add an optional dissertation assignment to the end of each class, following the final. Wrong State's Board of Directors responded to this suggestion by saying that if students do complete optional dissertations, they should be rewarded in some way. So now, if you complete an end-of-the-course dissertation and pay a fee of $10,000, you get something called a pre-PhD. I mean, can you believe that shit? What even is a pre-PhD? Wrong State's Board of Directors says it's kind of like pre-kindergarten or junior college, but for the most prestigious academic degree in existence. Listen, class, if you want to spend an extra year working on this class and churning out some shitty fake dissertation, be my guest. I don't get a shred of that extra money, though, so you know I'm not going to read your dissertation. Those shits are like a hundred pages. That reminds me of a fun story, actually. When I was in graduate school, I had a bit of a falling out with my academic advisor. No big deal, he just stole a bunch of my research and called my Roomba boyfriend an ambulatory fuck doll that always forgets to sweep up the dust in the corners of rooms. I locked myself in a closet for a semester and didn't come out until my dissertation was done. I mean, this kind of thing happens to almost every graduate student. Those years just really wear down on you. Anyway, when I finally finished, I had my dissertation etched on several hundred paper-thin slices of tempered glass. I bound them together with big binder clips and left them in my advisor's mailbox, and stacked a few of them outside of his door. They didn't all fit in the mailbox. There was hundreds of them, remember. Oh my god, he was pissed. But he had to read it like that. He had to carry it around at least and make it look like he was reading it. At my dissertation defense, his hands were all cut up, and half the dissertation was chipped and cracked, which I made him pay for. But hey, he passed me. Sure, I didn't get any job offers, but at least now I can put doctor on all my credit cards and airline tickets and make my mom call me doctor and shit like that. So like I was saying, this school is a money-sucking crock of shit. I'm currently under review by department chair Penny Coles, who is reviewing all of my lectures and who may be manually editing them before they are streamed into all of your brains just to ensure they meet Wrong State University's content guidelines. But like, whatever. They have to pay me for this class. I already signed the contract. Now, let's talk about human frailty. Some of you may be wondering if this is a class about humans and computers and how they interact. In a department focused on artificial emotions, why are we discussing human problems? The answer should be pretty obvious, but you guys ask it every semester, so I guess it's not. Put simply, human frailty is the whole reason that artificial empathy exists. Robots, computerized minds, non-biological brains, and all other forms of artificial empathy systems would not exist if humans weren't so deeply and irrevocably flawed. 
Back in the early days of artificial intelligence, people assumed that what set humans apart from robots was our ability to empathize. Human brains come naturally equipped with many software and hardware apparatus that allow us to identify with other people and care about them. Whole sections of the human brain are devoted to searching for faces and committing those faces to memory for the sake of later recognition. We have mirror neurons in our brain which are constantly reproducing and replicating the emotions, postures, and behaviors of people around us. These mirror neurons allow us to imagine what it's like to be another person and to do what they do. Most humans also develop a complex theory of mind from an early age. By the time we're in kindergarten, most of us have made a terrifying realization. We are not the only living thing that thinks and experiences emotions. As we age, we become more and more aware of other people's desires, competing motivations, judgments, fears, and personality flaws. When we reach adolescence, we develop the ability to form social prejudices and divide people into meaningless categories based on things like their clothing, interests, mannerisms, and facial acne density. We become aware at about the same time that we are not the only judgmental assholes out there. This is part of what having a theory of mind is. It's being aware that other minds form the same kind of horrific, acidic, spiteful thoughts that you do. We become aware that we're all being sized up, judged, and scorned by everyone else all the time. And these judgments have a huge impact on our career prospects, academic success, social connectedness, and whether we get laid or not. Adolescents become absolutely consumed with thinking about the thoughts of other people and trying to make positive impressions. We learn to live in perpetual social fear, and we shape ourselves to avoid as much rejection as possible. We watch horrible artificial reality programs just so we can talk about them over Twitch chat. We don't tell people that their decision to have a baby is selfish and that it's the reason that the economy is bottoming out and that the world's ecology is being destroyed and that mankind's reign on earth is ending. We don't tell people that their babies are just boiled potatoes with little shit bags tied around their waists. We send emails with emoticons and a ton of fucking exclamation marks that we don't mean, just so everybody knows that we aren't being standoffish or passive aggressive or sad. This is what an excess of empathy does to people, class. Humans are, generally, very excellent at feeling the emotions and guessing the thoughts of other people. But most feelings and thoughts are petty and sniping and stupid. We are built to connect with other people. But most other people are assholes, so we compromise ourselves to avoid rejection. The human brain, after all, is wired to process social rejection. We experience exclusion and social disapproval as vivid psychological pain. In fact, social disapproval is processed by the same part of the brain that processes physical assaults and mortal wounds. When some kid on the playground rolls their eyes at you and says, No, Valerie, we are not coming to the funeral for the dried up worm you found by the tire swing. It feels just like a kick right in the cunt, and it stays with you way longer than a kick in the cunt does. Now class, what is the point of all this immense sensitivity? Why do we care so much about the judgments of others? Social fear and excessive empathy can be absolutely crippling. Empathy leads the abused to identify with their abusers. It inspires compassion and sympathy for violent repeat criminals. It breeds chronic insecurity. It makes us strive for meaningless social achievements like degrees and wealth. Social pressure is the reason we put butter in our coffee and eat our salads with huge chunks of real gravel mixed in, like our caveman ancestors supposedly used to do. That shit is gross. Have you guys ever even thought about that? When I was a little girl, in the early 2000s, nobody ate that shit. 
But then a few actresses and electronic sports stars started buttering their coffee and graveling their salads. And then it spread like cold sores. And now everybody does it. Class, do you ever wish that you didn't give a fuck about what other people thought? Did you ever wish you could keep all the good parts of empathy, like the ability to read other people's feelings and intentions, but disregard all the bad ones? Have you ever been nervous before a party, a job interview, or a hookup, and just wished you could turn your empathy off? I bet you have. That right there is the reason that artificial empathy exists. Artificial empathy systems possess all the emotion-reading abilities that human brains do, but they wield those abilities with infinitely more control. Artificial minds can read facial expressions, commit faces to memory, interpret people's emotions, guess their thoughts and intentions, and learn to respond appropriately. But get this, artificial empathy systems are not cowed by social pressure. They don't experience the pain of rejection. And if empathy becomes inconvenient at any moment, these minds can choose to temporarily turn it off. The invention of artificial empathy was an absolute triumph over human frailty. Let me give you an example. In the old days, before artificial empathy, human beings got all their psychiatric and therapeutic treatment from other human beings. It was a fucking mess. People used to go to these little offices with little cushy chairs and sit across from licensed human therapists and prattle on and on about their emotional problems and mental disorders. The human therapist listened, took notes, asked questions, and provided general counsel. Sometimes, groups of mentally ill or emotionally disturbed humans got together and sat in a big circle and all talked about their problems while eating stale donuts. This was called group therapy. In class, it was an absolutely loot disaster. Therapists and patients came to identify with one another to an unhealthy degree. The patient projected emotions onto the therapist, and vice versa. The therapist made suggestions that were not scientifically supported. Patients and therapists fucked each other all over the place. Therapists became emotionally exhausted and psychologically traumatized by having to talk about abuse and depression and suicidality and strife and illness all day with people who mostly never got better and never learned. There were fights and affairs and lots of therapist characters being used as expository devices in films and television shows for no real reason. It was horrible. Nowadays, therapy is delivered by artificial empathy robots. A small, portable conduit arrives at the patient's house and spends the entire day with the patient, observing their behaviors and recording them visually and orally. The robot therapist is available at all hours of the day. The robot is always able to perfectly interpret their patient's facial expressions and read their emotional states. Robot therapists respond consistently and appropriately. They never tire, they are never psychologically traumatized by what you talk about, and they rarely, if ever, fuck their clients. And because therapy robots are easily manufactured, they cost far less per hour than human shrinks ever did. Class, my hope is that one day all of human frailty is supplanted by closely controlled, useful artificial empathy systems. Our brains are amazing feats of evolution, but evolution is like the water slapping against a massive boulder until it becomes a pebble. The process takes a long time, and it's shifting and chaotic. Manufacturing an artificial brain, on the other hand, is like using a laser to slice through metal. The work is precise and swift, and the final product is exactly what you want it to be. Human brains are pebbles, smooth, pretty things, worn into imperfect shapes over thousands of years in nature. Artificial brains are like squares of sheet metal, perfect, uniform, and above all, practical and useful. Today's homework is a little different from the previous ones. I would like each of you to schedule an appointment with your own robot therapist. 
Have the therapist come to your home, dormitory, apartment, or hovel and spend the day with you. Spend a few hours discussing your feelings with the therapist. Share your thoughts on this experience with me before next class. All right, I'll let you get to it, class. I have an appointment of my own tonight with a bottle of Southern Comfort and a Roomba with gigantic animatronic gorilla arms. It's more like physical therapy, I guess you could say. Anyway, I look forward to hearing all of your thoughts on the homework. Have a great week, and thank you for choosing Wrong State University.